Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good to see all of you gathered here. The welcome as well, once again, to those of you who are joining us from home. I look forward to opening God's Word with you. And if you would join me in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 12 this morning. Uh, while you're turning, let me just remind you, we have some packing to do this afternoon. And I know that there are a number of you who probably have already signed up and have planned to stay for that. We have the OCC Christmas boxes, the, the Christmas gift, the shoe boxes that are going to be packed today. Uh, we also have some Thanksgiving meals to feed to uh, the thousands of folks that we have been serving for the last seven months in our feeding program. Those are going to go out this week. And so if you can help us with that, uh, you need not have signed up already, but just keep your seats after we're done here today. Uh, and Pastor Dave will be up here and he'll give you some instructions on how to go either over here to my left or back here on my right uh, and to begin to help. And with enough folks, we're going to get this done quickly and efficiently. Uh, and we're going to bless a lot of folks, not just in this region, but around the world. Uh, this is going to be an easy week. I'm praying for those of you who uh, have various Thanksgiving plans that God would keep you safe that he would make you wise during this time period. Uh, this week, there's not going to be anything major going on on the campus midweek outside of just normal smaller groups, but, but no Wednesday night activities. A couple of reasons for that. One is simply because it's Thanksgiving week. We want our staff and others to have the opportunity beyond Tuesday to be able to spend it with their families and get some rest and relaxation. Uh, we do have an additional reason in this rather unusual year. Uh, of just kind of taking it easy for about the next week or so. Uh, COVID is making quite the raging comeback, and we just, we just want to take a little break, give the building a rest, give it a time for maybe a little bit of extra cleaning before we come back again after Thanksgiving. But we're doing all of this and, and in many ways kind of putting off some of the smaller things because we hope by God's grace to be able to have one big thing, particularly when we get to December. And so I want you to mark your calendars for December the 13th. We're going to have the big covenant Christmas celebration right here on campus. Uh, we're going to do all of the mitigation that we normally do here on campus. It'll be as safe as it has always been here. Santa, as I understand, is going to make an appearance, but mom, dad, he has agreed to wear his mask. He has agreed to stay back uh, a certain distance from the kids, but they're still going to be able to talk to him. And if your kids are like mine were when they were younger, you want them to talk to Santa because the stuff on their list, you hope he can afford it because you can't, right? And so we want to we give you that opportunity. Uh, there's going to be multiple weather permitting, bonfires, different places around the parking lot, perhaps even out in the field. We are working on a uh, horse-drawn carriage ride that would be available to folks. Again, it can be uh, mitigated in between rides so it's safe for families and outdoors. And then at six o'clock in that evening, we're going to be gathering in here for a concert from Andrew Peterson, the artist, the author, the musician. If you've not heard of Andrew, you're in for a treat. Andrew's actually going to be here in person on March the 20th. And so we're hoping that this will kind of whet your appetite and that of your neighbors to be able to come and hear a little bit of his music. Behold the Lamb of God uh, is the title of his concert, brand new music around the Christmas season. You're going to be incredibly blessed by this and you really don't want to miss it. And again, it'll whet your appetite for when he's 
physically with us in March. And so come on out, uh, set that time aside. You probably have already seen the registration opportunities. If you could please register in advance, uh, because that's going to help us to space the seating out, do what we need to do so that we don't really have to think about mitigation because the staff's already done that for us. And you can just come in and enjoy an evening listening to some anointed music uh, from Andrew Peterson and just having a great time together. The campus will be decorated fully by that point. So if you want pictures with your family out next to the big gigantic Christmas tree that we have uh, out here. You know, I never thought I'd be able to say this, but I've seen pictures in newspapers and I think we got at least as good of a tree as Rockefeller Center does this year. And so, hey, we can advertise that now. Come on out and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. We've been in a series called Blessed. We've been going back to Jesus' definition of what, is exact, what does it actually mean to be blessed. And, and on the positive side, what we've seen is that there's a state of being that reminds us that in that state of being, we can have the anointing and the affirmation of God, and no matter what is taken from us, no matter how our status quo may change, we can live a blessed life. But one of the things we've also seen is that not all of this blessed life is easy. Embodying the characteristics in this life are not easy, are they? They're just not. And this really is, is one of the things that's painful for a pastor. It's frankly one of the things that sets a pastor apart from, say, a motivational speaker like an Anthony Robbins. There's, there's been times, I'll just be honest with you, that I wish I was a motivational speaker rather than a pastor because I love to motivate people. I love to encourage people. I love for people to walk away from my presence and my presentation. And I like for them to be happy, and I like for them to be on their game, and I like for them to be excited. But the truth of the matter is, not everything in the Bible is encouraging, is it? Many things in Scripture are very, very challenging. And the job of the pastor, unlike that of the motivational speakers, I can't leave any of that out. And so there's a lot of things in Scripture that are just a hard sell, aren't they? We've been dealing with some of that stuff over the last several weeks. You know, being a peacemaker, we talked about that, that's a hard sell. So it's one thing to say, yeah, you can live a blessed life, you can have the full affirmation and approval of God, you can follow Jesus, and if you'd like to do that today, we'd love for you to reach out to us. You can go to connecttocovenant.com, check that box that says, I want to follow Jesus. We'll very quickly follow up with you. But, but in following Jesus, then you discover, particularly as you read through the Beatitudes, man, there's a lot of stuff in here that's not easy. Following Jesus involves a lot of things that are simply a hard sell. And as we open up our Bibles this morning, we are probably looking at one of the most difficult things of all, one of the hardest in the Western world specifically, comes from Jesus himself. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the big idea. God, Scripture tells us in multiple places from Genesis to Revelation, he is most pleased when I value him above all other things. When he is heads and shoulders above anything else that I might value, that is when he is pleased with me. And that disposition of my heart is never more tested than when I'm being persecuted. Which is why Jesus says, blessed are you if that comes to you. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. How do we live in that way? There's this old song. Some of you, if you were like me and you, you grew up in church, you heard this old song. I'd rather have 
Jesus. How many of you have heard that? You, you heard that one? It's a beautiful song. It really is. It's a song of dedication. I wonder sometimes, do we really mean it when we sing it? I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause, than worldwide fame, than silver or gold. Is that really true? You got to I mean, check yourself for just a moment. Because sometimes being faithful to Jesus that's exactly what it means, that the wealth you have, the cultural approval you have, it may be taken away from you, specifically because you follow Jesus. You may, in fact, have to live a long time under that. In fact, the word for persecuted here actually means to pursue. The best modern equivalent to this term persecution would be the word harassment. Blessed are you when you get harassed by other people because of your faith, because you follow Jesus, blessed are you. This is, this is how you will know you're living the blessed life. When those who do not follow Jesus harass you. That's a hard sell, isn't it? Really hard sell. And, and truthfully, sort of compounding this challenge for us is we don't know much of this from where we live, do we? Because for most all of our lifetimes, we have enjoyed nearly unfettered religious freedom most of what we call persecution really isn't. Uh, I mean, let's just be honest. It might be annoying, but it's not persecution. I'm going to submit to you, unless you are on the other side of that camera and you're in a country outside the United States, I would wager my Shepherdstown real estate that you have never been persecuted, nor have the people in front of me right now, nor have I. Yet, not yet, we truly haven't seen it. Now, at some point, it's coming. It's coming. You just need to know that. I, now, I don't have a crystal ball to tell you when it's going to happen, to tell you how it's going to happen, to tell you all of the actors that are involved. And by the way, those of you that listen to talk radio and watch media more than you read your Bibles, you don't either. Just throwing that out there a little bit. You don't know, neither do I. But here's what we do know based on the words of Jesus himself. This moment is coming from, uh, for us and it really doesn't matter how much we try to curry favor with power or how much we, we think we can control this culture around us. There is no escaping some degree of persecution if you're going to follow Jesus. And the question we want to ask this morning is, are you ready? How do you pass this test? I wonder if we're truly prepared. I fear that we are not prepared for whatever is coming. And so I want us to be prepared. So Jesus tells us, first and foremost, to simply be ready. Blessed, he says in verse 10, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He repeats it again in verse 11. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You notice how the switch here from verse 10, blessed are those, third person. And then verse 11, he repeats it, but he switches to the second person. Blessed are you. It's almost like he makes this statement and then he catches himself and he looks around at the crowd and goes, yeah, I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about you. This is coming and it's coming for you. In fact, one Puritan commentator even remarked, looking at this verse, one of the reasons that Jesus repeats this beatitude twice is because of how unbelievable it is. And I've had an increasing urgency over the years about this, because as I said, I, I, 
I don't know that we're ready for what's coming. I don't think our children are prepared for it. I, I fear that the brand of Christianity most popular in the West, whether it's that old kind of obviously greasy used car salesman version of prosperity gospel that promises you health and wealth and money, or this new sort of brand of prosperity light that promises you political power and has, has told us that we need to rely on those things, cultural influence and, and cultural favor, I think that overwhelming brand of Christian faith is leaving us vulnerable to the shock and that we're going to be blindsided by what comes. But I can tell you this, just assuredly as this book I've got down here, right here on this podium, is the Word of God, I will tell you on its authority, this is coming and you can't stop it. It's coming. You can elect whoever you want to, to public office. You can try as hard as you want to retain power and cultural influence. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, this is part of the deal. And it is an essential component to what it means to follow him, and it's coming. One missionary I know was, was jailed in the Middle East several years ago for his faith and for practicing his faith. And in the middle of that jail sentence, um, and this, again, was one of those prisons in the Middle East that would make Eastern Regional over here in Martinsburg seem like the Hilton. And in the middle of that sentence, this particular government allowed this young man, he was a young single guy, serving Jesus, loved him with all his heart, they allowed his mother to travel from the United States to visit with her son who was in prison. You hear this, moms? Dads, you hear this? Doesn't just affect you, it affects your children. Be careful talking about the mission of God and the kingdom of God in front of your children because they might take you seriously. And it might cost them one day. And this mama had to go see her baby boy in a prison cell. What would you do? What would you say to your son? Would you, would you cry? You probably would because you're normal. Would you be outlandishly offended? Would you scream on social media? Would you talk about how unjust this is? Would your reaction to that situation ratchet up his drama? Let me tell you what this mother did. She walked over, she flew over, she walked into that jail cell, she looked her son in the eye and she said, son, there is a long line of people for the last 2,000 years who have suffered for Jesus far more than you have. It's your turn to stand in that line. Don't you be unfaithful to him. Are we ready for that kind of challenge for our children? By the way, you want to know who else stands in that line? Jesus himself. Look at these words from Matthew chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Look at what they did to me. You think you get out of this and you want to follow me? It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And just in case that wasn't clear enough for you, Paul comes along later in the New Testament and says the following with abundant clarity in 2 Timothy. He says, indeed, which is another way of saying it is certain all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it doesn't matter how cool you are. It doesn't matter how relevant you try to be. If you are living out the values of the kingdom that we've been talking about throughout this entire series, your life will be repulsive to an unbelieving world. 
You will face harassment, pursuit, marginalization, maybe even physical violence. And Jesus said, the reason you need to be prepared to face that is because I am your master and the servants are not above their masters. Since that great thud in Eden when our first parents rebelled against God, this world had never seen human perfection until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that perfection was so shocking and so offensive to the first century world that they crucified him. And Jesus says, look out. Students are not above their teacher. Servants are not above their masters. This is coming. And the promise of God's word is this. We can endure because we can know this between us who are persecuted and those who persecute us. We will emerge with the blessing of God. Blessed are you when this happens. So be ready for it. Secondly, be faithful. Don't just be ready, but be faithful. Let's look at these two verses again. It's always good, particularly when you're reading a text like this, to read the whole thing. All the words. Here at Covenant, we believe in something called verbal plenary inspiration. Every word of the Bible fully inspired, all the way down to the grammar. And so every word matters, right? Every word counts. Listen closely again to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What's he saying? He's saying it not only matters that you are persecuted, it matters why. What's the rationale? behind what's going on. See, religious minorities get persecuted all the time, all over the world. We have Muslim friends of ours who have testified to the fact that their Muslim brothers and sisters are getting persecuted relentlessly in places like Myanmar and China. In the People's Republic of China right now, there are Muslim minority groups whose hair is being cut off before they're murdered and being donated. Their organs are being harvested. That's about as bad as it gets. And when that happens to a religious minority, no matter who they are, no matter whether or not we agree with them, followers of Jesus ought to be the first people to stand up and denounce that and to have the backs of those who are persecuted. But Jesus is talking about something more specific here than that. Those who receive blessing are those who are persecuted for a specific reason, namely for the sake of Jesus and his righteousness. So for this blessing to be yours, some things have to be true of you. Number one, you must belong to Jesus. Just why we invite you every week. Even if you're online to go to connecttocovenant.com, let us know. Just check that box. I want to follow Jesus so we can follow up with you and let you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You have to be part of Jesus' family. And the explicit reason, secondly, for your suffering must be on his righteousness and on his account. Now, why do I think that's important? Because most of us who live on this side of the planet, as I've said, we've never been persecuted. But in my experiences, we, we are really, really good at having a persecution complex. You get the difference? Uh, in 1967, there's this really quirky movie, and I love it because I'm a nerd. So you're probably going to watch it. It's on YouTube. You can find it. Um, and you're going to go, man, my pastor's such a nerd. Um, 
because it's just quirky. I don't even know if it counts as a B movie, but it's called The Gospel Blimp. And there are these believers in Christ in this small town, and, and they're really eager to share their faith. But, but rather than actually go out and talk about their faith and share life with their non-Christian neighbors and love their neighbor as they love themselves and, and just talk about their faith in the face of, of all of that, in other words, rather than just being normal, they figure they've got to incorporate this, right? So we're, we're not going to go spend time with unbelievers, but we're going we're gonna to found this company that eventually became known as International Gospel Blimps Incorporated. They bought a blimp, yeah, the big old lighter than airship. Uh, they attached Bible verses to the back of it. They hired a pilot. They raised thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, so that they could fly this thing over the city. Bible verse attached to it. Uh, ultimately, that didn't work, so then they tried what they called track bombing. They would throw gospel tracks out of the blimp, into the street, into people's backyards. And then when that didn't work, they decided, you know what, we'll put a loudspeaker on it. Because, you know, Scripture does say Faith comes by hearing. And so all kinds of music and preaching and everything else coming out of these speakers until finally, I think it was probably the loudspeaker that was the last straw. And the neighborhood had had enough. And the local newspaper in this movie runs an editorial, and they called the blimp a raucous destroyer of communal peace. And the people who put this whole plan together, you know what they said? We're being persecuted. It's not just persecution merely because you disagree with it. It's not persecution just because you don't like it. It's not persecution just because you're disadvantaged by it. We're now seeing this in spades out in California. I've got some dear friends of mine who are pastors out in California, and they're getting really, really tired of hearing from a particularly well-known pastor of a particularly well-known, very large church in Southern California who says he's being persecuted because the state of California won't let the church meet. And I've got friends of mine, number one, who are pastors in that state who told me directly, Joel, this is not true. That's a lie. We are allowed to meet. There are mitigation practices that we have to put in place, but we're allowed to meet, and this guy's not helping us by the way he's sort of stirring up the stink. Secondly, it's not persecution because churches in this particular state are not being treated any differently than any other institution or place of business. They're not being singled out specifically because of what they believe and being shut down. And again, they are permitted to gather. The church in question is just unwilling to cooperate. You say, well, what are they being asked to do? They're being asked to meet outside rather than inside. Now, before you go ballistic, let me remind you, this is not West Virginia in November that we're talking about. This is Southern California in November, where the forecast every day of the year is high 75, low 75, not a cloud in the sky. So this is not persecution. This is, it's inconvenient for us because we want to be indoors sitting on comfortable seats and the pastor wants to wear a coat and tie. That's what it is. Is it inconvenient? Of course it is. Pandemics tend to make some things inconvenient. Is it lawful? You know what? That's a perfectly legitimate question. Go ahead and ask those questions if you want to. You know, is it possible that a state executive might go too far? Sure it is. Those are, avail yourself of those kinds of processes. Is it persecution? Well, if it is, the state of California doesn't know how to do it. Let's be careful how we label 
certain kinds of things. You say, why are you telling us that story, Pastor? Because way too many times, especially in the West, with all of our wealth and all of our freedom and all of our privilege, Christians are not persecuted for their Christianity. They're persecuted for their lack of it. They're persecuted because they're selfish. They're persecuted because they're not pleasant to be around, because they're rude, because they're insensitive, because they're thoughtless, because they're piously obnoxious, and they have confused that with holiness. This is not who Jesus has called us to be. Others are persecuted, not because they're Christian or because they're faithful or because they're being singled out, but because they're lazy or incompetent. These are people who have not read Jesus' words in their entirety. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when this happens on my account. You're like, well, pastor, what does that look like, actually? Well, to answer that question, we have to review everything we've looked at up until this point. Because Jesus has been defining the blessed life for us. And we discover in the middle of that, that persecution occurs when the world refuses to tolerate the kind of character qualities that Jesus has described for us in this series. Because if you are poor in spirit, that runs counter to the pride of an unbelieving heart. If you mourn over your sin rather than celebrate it, excuse it, or expect the world to affirm it, you make people uncomfortable because they might have to mourn their sin. When you're gentle and meek, that, that kind of attitude gets dismissed by a world that longs for power and might. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, those kinds of appetites are foreign to a world that longs only after what the senses can detect. When you have a merciful heart, it exposes the grudge-holding, dog-eat-dog attitude of our culture. When you have a pure heart, it is offensive to people who are self-focused. And when you are a peacemaker, you are an imminent threat to people who profit off of polarization. And when those things are a part of your life, Jesus says, you can expect people will be offended by that. People will be aghast at that. And you will face persecution for it. You will be lied about. You will be marginalized. You will be harassed. You might be sued. You could even be arrested. Because they will see these things in your life and they'll be repulsed by them. So, when I say be faithful, this is what I mean. Because we, we live in this world that is full of people. Our culture has conditioned us to look for a reason to be offended. To look for a reason to be outraged. And when that nonsense finds its way into the church of the living God, you know what it looks like? It looks an awful lot like a persecution complex. Persecution is real when it comes, not in reaction to something I think is important, but when it comes in reaction to the actions and the attitudes that Jesus demands of me. So you need to ask yourself, why am I offended when these, when these things come up? In fact, two chapters later in Matthew 7, this is precisely why Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged, for in the way in which you judge, you will be Judged, and then he goes on to say, before you remove the speck from your brother's eye, remove the plank from your own. I think this is precisely the sort of scenario that he has in mind. When I feel like I'm being mistreated or being persecuted, I need to first not look at the speck in the eye of the world. I need to look at any potential planks that might be resting in my own eye, and I need to make sure my motives are pure and that I'm actually living for Jesus. Be faithful. 
so that you can be ready. And if you are ready, and if you are faithful, here's the third thing, you can be joyful. Look at what the Lord tells us in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? They're going to come after you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to harass you. They're going to marginalize you. Rejoice. This is crazy talk. But again, Jesus is reminding us, when you are in that place, you stand in a long line of people who have gone before you. And when your turn comes, you should rejoice. His disciples, by the way, will later show us what this looks like. In Acts chapter 5, they are arrested for preaching the gospel. They are beaten mercilessly. And before they are let go, they are warned, do not speak the name of Jesus again. You think they defied that order? Yeah. Yeah, it's the whole reason you and I are sitting here this morning. is because they said we must obey God rather than men. But here's another question. Did they get outraged over it? What did they do? They write a blog post about it? What did they do exactly? They didn't do any of that stuff, did they? Didn't do any of that stuff. Um, and, and there are times, like Romans 13 is there in our Bibles because in all matters that are not conflicting with our faith, we have one objective, and that's submission. That's submission. We tend to cry persecution on things that really do not conflict with our faith. And, and we save our energy for the real battles so that when it actually does come on account of righteousness, that's the moment when the government edict comes and we can look, and not with outrage, but with kind of a disposition that says, well, that's really cute. Let's go do what Jesus told us to do now. That's what these men did. And look furthermore at the, the attitude, the disposition of their heart. Acts 5, 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. We get to stand in that line now. I'm going to tell you something. One of two things is going on in that text right now. Either these people are tinfoil hat crazy or they saw somebody get be raised from the dead. One of the two. There's no middle ground here. You don't suffer stuff like this unless you really believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And they believed it. And they said, we now get to stand in that line. And it's because they recognize their place between these two worlds. There's this quirky little movie came out in 2004 called The Terminal. It's the fictional story of a guy named Victor Navrosky, uh, played by Tom Hanks, wonderful actor. And he's an Eastern European man flying to the United States. But when he lands and, and he gets to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, he discovers uh, to his shock that literally while he was in the air, his country experienced a civil war and now no longer exists. It has collapsed. And so they seize his passport because the passport's illegitimate. It's not good anymore. And they won't let him just yet because apparently there's some, some legal hurdles that he needs to clear in order to enter the United States. So he can't come fully into our country, but he also can't go home because home doesn't exist anymore. And so the plot of the movie is that Victor Navrosky spends nine months starting with just a, his, his luggage and a can of planter's peanuts. And for the next nine months, he will wander around the international terminal at the airport. That's a no man's land because you're technically neither in the United States nor outside of it nor in any other country. How many of you spent longer than five minutes in the international terminal? I've been there. 
Can you imagine spending nine months, for those of you who have that experience, like I do, being in the international terminal? I'm going to tell you, with the, the short amount of time I've spent in the international terminal, and I'm a convinced Protestant, but I rethink purgatory every time I go to that place. It's awful. And so he has to spend the next nine months trying to get all of this worked out in this no man's land. Trapped in between two kingdoms, one that no longer exists, one that won't let him in just yet, and he's not yet able to fully enter into either one. I want you to think about that picture for a minute because what Jesus just described here, he's saying, that's you, that's me, if we belong to him. Because on the one hand, we're not ready for heaven yet. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because you're still here. That's how I know. When the Lord gets ready to call you, your heart beats right now because he allows it to. Your lungs are taking in oxygen, expelling carbon dioxide because the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth allows you to breathe. And when he gets ready to call you home, nothing's going to be able to keep you here. Just like you are immortal until he decides that it's time for you to come home. So the fact that we're all sitting here right now means that we are not yet ready for heaven. God still has a purpose for us here. But here's the other side of that. This world is not home. We are in the international terminal. And here's what I fear. In the middle of, of all the things that we have and possess in this world is that we can get too settled in here, which in the end of, at the end of the day, all it does is ratchet up and increase the amount of fear that we experience. And there's been a lot of fear in 2020, has there not? Like a lot of fear. We can all disagree. We're really good at arguing and fighting with each other. We disagree over what we should be afraid of, what our fear ought to be focused on. But fear's kind of been the common denominator. And here in just a few weeks, I'm going to start a brand new series entitled No Fear. We're going to spend three weeks looking at three overarching principles in the Word of God to help us face, cur face crises with courage. And those three truths are this. The first is that God brings you to any moment of crisis. God has brought you here. The second, God is with you here. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you like an orphan. And number three, God will deliver you from this moment. It's coming. It's coming. Now, here's the part of that, though, that, that gets tricky. Ultimately, deliverance comes from a brand new world, not this one. And so with all the things in this world, we know it's fallen, we lament it all the time, we get all of that, but, it, but, but we know, but there's, there's some nice stuff here, right? I mean, college football is here. There's all kinds of stuff that we like and we don't want to leave behind. Relationships are here. And we, we want to cling to that. That's one of the things we're going to learn in a few weeks. The only way to seize the new world is to let the old one go. Luther got this in his famous hymn. He said, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. This world is not our home. And I fear, your pastor included, we get too settled here, which is why we go nuts and become enraged when the non-Christian culture changes our personal status quo, even though Jesus has told us this is exactly what is supposed to happen. How can we be joyful when those things happen? Well, 
To, to answer that question, let me give you another text from the words of the Apostle Paul, who by his own testimony, and yeah, all of us have had been harassed to a certain degree, all of us have been made fun of, and, all, and some of us, we've had to do that specifically because of our faith, but Paul was jailed, Paul was beaten mercilessly, Paul was eventually, as far as we can know, piecing all the history together, executed by the state, so, so Paul had a worse go of it than you did. And it was Paul who said the following in the middle of all that suffering. Look at these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Though, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, keep in mind, prison, beatings, execution. How does Paul categorize all of that? Look at these next three words. Light, momentary affliction. That was his attitude. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come, they go. They're going to pass away. They're going to die. The things that are unseen are eternal. So brother, sister, when you're encouraged to stand in that long line of prophets and apostles, that line that Jesus himself stood in that sometimes includes harassment and persecution of every sort and kind, you can do it with joy knowing that at the end of that line there's a better world awaiting you. Blessed are you because it is those experiences that will remind you this is not your home anyway and a better home is coming. Some of you may know the name Andrew Brunson. I had the opportunity and the privilege to meet Andrew last summer. He's a Hungarian-American pastor who for many, many years up until 2016 was the pastor of the Izmir Resurrection Church. Uh, sits right on the Aegean Sea in, in southwestern Turkey. And 2,000 years ago, by the way, Izmir had another name. They called it Smyrna. You may have heard of that. Uh, there was a church that was there that John wrote to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, so, so these Christians that Andrew had the, the honor and the privilege of shepherding, uh, they can trace their legacy all the way back to that earliest church in ancient Smyrna that was pastored by the bishop Polycarp. But in 2016, there, you may have heard this in the international news, there was an attempted coup of the Turkish government, and then President Tayyip Erdogan uh, began not only to seek out who was responsible for the coup, but to find anyone connected with them and anyone even secondarily connected to those people. He began to freeze and lock out the press. He began to lock down the government. He began to pursue and seize assets of various reporters and other kinds of people that he perceived to have been a part of this coup trying to crack down on it. And he took aim first at some political enemies that he put at the top of the list that he believed to be conspirators. It was a group of people that are, that are known to this day as the Hizmet Movement. Now, I've actually known personally and worked both here in the United States and in the Republic of Turkey with members of the Hizmet Movement. My experience with them is that they are wonderful people. They have a mind for service. Uh, they want to spread education. They want to spread human flourishing, not only throughout their native Turkey, but throughout the Middle East. Um, it, it was really a joy to work with them. And, and apparently, I worked so close with them that with Erewhon still in power, I can't go back to Turkey anymore. Uh, I had a dear friend of mine who's one of the leaders in that movement, lives in New York City now. And a, uh, a couple years ago, I was talking about, uh, Amy and I were getting ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And I said, I'm thinking about 
going out of the country for this one. And I'm thinking about Izmir because when we were there, man, it was such a beautiful city. There's a nice hotel right there on the, on the edge of the Aegean Sea. And I just, I just love, there's a, there's a straight flight on Turkish Airlines from, from D.C., Dulles to Istanbul. That, man, I, I just, I want to do that. And, and my friend said, you, you can't go. And I said, what do you mean I can't go? He goes, you, you, they've got your name, man. They will arrest you if you step off that plane in Istanbul. And I thought, why would they do that? I haven't been plotting with you guys. I haven't taken any money from anybody. I've just been doing what I've been doing over there. He said, it doesn't matter. It's guilt by association when it comes to this president. And so you, I guess maybe you didn't realize your pastor was an enemy of the state. But um, So I, I'm, I'm praying for something to change because it's a beautiful country, and I love it, and I love the people, and I'd love to go, be able to go back someday. But Andrew Brunson was also identified as being affiliated with the Hizmet movement. He was imprisoned in a Turkish prison, and yes, it fits every bit of the stereotype that you've heard of. So he was horribly mistreated for two years after being identified as a conspirator. Turkish media, while he was in prison and unable to defend himself or, or speak up for himself, called him a criminal. They called him a terrorist. Uh, they did say, you know, when I met him, he said, they, they did say one thing about me that I thought, I'm going to keep that one, even though it's not really true. They called me Rambo Pastor, and I thought, man, that's really cool. I kind of like that. The prosecution brought charges of espionage and seeking to overthrow the government, which in Turkey carries a, a life sentence. And so he struggled in that prison, as you can imagine, for many months. Deep depression, wondering what's going to happen. And in talking with him, he said this. He said, I finally came to this conclusion. I want to live my life. No matter what happens to me, there are things, obviously, that are beyond my control. But I want to live my life in a way that I have no regrets when I stand in front of Jesus one day. And one way or another, that day is coming. So I'm going to just accept whatever's coming at me, whatever they say about me, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to have joy because I'd rather have Jesus. How about you? How about me? Hard sell, right? This is a hard one. And that old song is stirring. I remember singing it growing up in church. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. Really? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. You serious? I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. You really mean that? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Is that really true? The Lord teaches us here that the biggest test you and I will ever take to determine whether those words coming off of our lips are legitimate will come when persecution comes. So it's coming. It's coming. I don't know when. I don't know how. And there's no reason for you to be paranoid about it or looking for it or expecting some talk radio, radio idiot to explain it to you. Just be ready. Just be faithful. And know this. Blessed are you when others revile you, hate you, persecute you, tell lies about you. Rejoice. Because you are standing in a long line of those who came before you. And your reward is the same as theirs. 
There's another world coming, and it's yours for the taking. Father in heaven, I know these are difficult words from you, but we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth, that you love us enough, and Lord, I hesitate even to call this a warning. It's just a declaration of truth. That, Father, we follow a Lord who was crucified, and we are called to take up our own cross. And so, Father, there's no reason for us to labor continually under the delusion that somehow being a follower of Jesus is about living some sort of cushy life. Lord, if there are those who are undergoing persecution or dealing with harassment of any kind, or even those who are just uncomfortable right now by all the things going on around them, may they take some encouragement today from this message, knowing that they stand in a long line of others who have suffered right alongside them, and that just like those people in history, their suffering will end, and a whole new world is going to be theirs for the taking. Lord Jesus, for those who don't know you, I pray that they would belong to you before this day is out. Lord, may they reach out through our social media feed, through connecttocovenant.com. May they believe. And Father, may we be able to lead them in those initial steps of what it means to follow you. And may you be mightily glorified today and forevermore until we see you in that eastern sky. And may your church be found faithful on that day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.